Okay, so now here is my official good morning, and welcome to our show today about wasting time. Yes, about wasting time. Now, of course, when I say that, I know that you realize that I'm using that term a bit facetiously, maybe sarcastically even, because there is so much brainwashing in the real estate industry about the evils of, God forbid, wasting your time with, I don't know, let's say potential clients who aren't ready to buy or sell in the next 90 seconds, or even worse, wasting your precious time and energy on those pesky clients you already have who, God forbid, call you up during your prospecting time with a question to ask or a problem to solve. Now, if you've been around Sell with Soul much time at all, nothing that I say today is going to be something that you've never heard before, probably. In fact, it was early in my very first book, Sell with Soul, on page 33 to be exact, that I originally broached the subject of effective time wasting and encouraged you to, to give it a try. I'm actually going to read that section from Soul with Soul to you here in a minute since it forms the basis of everything else that I'm going to talk about today. But first, let me tell you why I decided to do this particular show at this particular time. Uh, over the summer, some of you may have been involved in a four-week workshop that we did called from 100,000 to 200,000, which was about taking your real estate business to the next level, whatever you desired that level to be. We spent our four weeks together discussing various ways to accomplish that goal, including, of course, bringing in more business, but we also talked about strategies that didn't necessarily involve more clients, uh, such as making more money per transaction or reducing your expenses. One of the topics we touched on, um, although we didn't devote a whole lot of airtime to it, was, uh, well, strategically wasting your time to make more money. I thought it was a really fun discussion, and I got really good feedback on it, so I thought it would be even more fun to expand upon it and do an entire show. So here we are. All right, let's go to page 33 of the second edition of Soul with Soul. I'm going to read to you a section out of it. Um, if you have your own Soul with Souls and you would like to follow along, again, it's on page 33. Okay, the title of this section is... I'm new, don't waste my time. Okay, now before I read it, um, Soul with Soul was written specifically for newer agents. Uh, so I am talking here somewhat specifically to newer agents, but those of you who have been around a while, sit tight, this applies to you too. Okay, here we go. We old fogies, those of us with more than a year of experience, like to advise the newbies in our lives on how to work efficiently and productively, and God forbid, how to not waste time. What are some time wasters in our business? How about working with a not yet qualified buyer? Talking to renters? Showing a listing to an already represented buyer who calls off your yard sign? Preparing a market analysis for a seller who wants to move sometime next year? Having lunch with friends who already know lots of real estate agents? Or helping an acquaintance appeal her tax assessment? Well, in this old fogey's humble opinion, there is no such thing as wasting time in your first year if you're doing something that, one, puts you in front of a warm body and or teaches you something about your real estate market. So let's take example number three, showing an office listing to an already represented buyer. Here's the scenario. You're sitting on floor time twiddling your thumbs or maybe working up the nerve to call a few fizzbos. The phone rings. You find yourself talking with a buyer who is sitting out in front of one of your office's listings. He wants to see it right away. 
He tells you he already has a buyer agent, but he can't seem to track him down today. He's just so busy, you know. So can you show it to him? Option one, tell the buyer in no uncertain terms that you don't work for free and he needs to wait for his own agent. Or option two, cheerfully say, sure, give me some time to notify the owner and I'll meet you there in 30 minutes. What's your phone number in case there's a problem? Let's say you select option one. Here's what you've accomplished. You're still sitting at your desk, twiddling your thumbs, but by God, you didn't waste your time. And oh yeah, you've probably confirmed the buyer's opinion that real estate agents are jerks. Conversely, with option two, you practice showing homes and building rapport with strangers. You probably learned just a little bit more about the market. You met someone who might who just might end up being your biggest referral source. You never know. You met someone who just might be the love of your life. You never know. You got your backside off that chair and out into the world. You improved just a little the public's perception of real estate agents. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get yourself a client if the buyer decides you're way cooler than his missing an agent, missing an action agent. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Get off your butt and go waste some time. Okay, so that sort of sets the stage for the attitude I have about wasting time. And hopefully I haven't lost you all yet thinking that maybe this teleseminar in itself is going to be a colossal waste of your time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it will be. Maybe it won't be. But um, I hope you'll stick around and decide that even if you don't agree with each and every time waster I'm going to present, that you'll at least get one or two ideas you can use and that will make this hour or so a good use, not a waste of your time. Okay, in the middle of that blog that I just read to you was a line that went like this. There's no such thing as wasting time in your first year if you're doing something that puts you in front of a warm body and or teaches you something about the real estate market. So how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Guessing that your reaction probably depends somewhat on your level of experience in the industry, but I hope that even the old phobies among us won't uh, discount or dismiss the basic message that it's a good thing to always be looking for warm bodies to get in front of and to always be looking to learn even more about your real estate market. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. The first time, west time waster I'm going to suggest here is doing open houses specifically on your own listings. Now, again, if you've been around here much time, you know how I feel about doing open houses on your own listings. I think you need to do them. Now, I always give the disclosure or the disclaimer that I hate open houses, okay? I hated them, all right? I, I'm not somebody who went out there and looked forward to Sunday afternoon so I could schlep all those signs around and tear up my pantyhose and, you know, sit bored to death in an empty house all day or conversely have to make small talk all day. I did not like open houses. I still think that they need to be done on your own listings. Okay, we're not talking about doing open houses for other agents so that you can, you know, find yourself, some, you know, some new clients. We're not talking about that. Talking about doing it on your own listings. Okay, why do I consider this not to be a waste of time? Well, the reason that agents say they're a waste of time, and this is what they tell their clients, is, you know, nobody ever sells their house. Um, as a result of an open house, so it's a waste of my time, it's a waste of your time. All right, now, is that true? No, of course it's not true. Some houses do sell as a result of an open house, um, and so that is a, you know, a reasonably decent reason to do an open house, but it's not the only one. In fact, there are a lot more 
much more compelling reasons to do an open house, at least one on your own listing. And here's what they are. First, and I say this every time, whether or not your seller agrees with you that an open house is a waste of time, he still wants you to do one. He expects you to do one. Now, he may agree with you that, oh, okay, I, I get it. But deep inside, he's going, well, the la that agent's just lazy. They don't want to do an open house. Okay, your seller expects you to do an open house. I think it's well worth the two, three, four hours it takes you to do that open house just to make sure your seller thinks you're working as hard as you possibly can be. Okay, now um, another reason that I always suggest you do an open house on your own listing is if it's a busy listing, you'll get a lot of feedback from the, the people who come in, and that's always a good thing to, to be able to gather. So that's another good reason. But here's a reason to do an open house that I really haven't talked a lot about, and that is other people notice when you do one. What do I mean by other people? Well, mainly the neighbors. Now, this is interestingly something that real estate agents kind of talk about is, oh, my God, it's only the nosy neighbors that are coming over and looking at the house. I don't want to deal with the nosy neighbors. Why not? I mean, seriously, the nosy neighbors, they all probably own houses. And if they see you doing an open house, working hard for your seller to get that house sold, one, they're going to notice that you're doing it. Even if they don't come to the open house, they're going to realize that, hey, that agent with that name on that sign did an open house. That's that's pretty cool. And what if they do come over and be nosy? Isn't this a great opportunity for you to talk with neighbors, putting yourself in a position of, in what, how did I put that? Something about the warm body, getting in front of a warm body. Okay? These are people in the neighborhood who have a vested interest in this open house. All right? I've got, um, there's, a, there's a house that's been on the market here in my neighborhood, and houses hardly ever go on the market here. There's a house that's been on the market in my neighborhood for about three months. The agent has not done any open houses. I've noticed. Hey, I'm a nosy neighbor. I'm not going to buy the house, but I'd love to go over and take a look at it, check it out. Uh, but she hasn't done an open house, and I have noticed as a neighbor. Okay, so is this agent high on my list of somebody I'm going to call if I decide to sell my house? Not really. Okay, she may be great, but she hasn't done an open house. Okay, that's the first time waster. Um, second time waster is to go ahead and cheerfully do a market analysis for a seller that you're pretty sure isn't going to hire you or a seller who isn't ready to sell. So let's say, I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios that this could fit into, but let's say that you get a call from somebody who says, well, my brother-in-law, I mean, she comes right out and says this, okay? My brother-in-law is going to list the house, but I need to check the pricing. I, you know, he lives in a different part of the, you know, the city and he doesn't know the neighborhood. I mean, let's say they come right out and say that as bluntly as that. And there goes Lucy. There must be somebody else around. Um, let me say if that's the true scenario and you really are busy, you have plenty of business, you know, you have my blessing to say, you know what, it doesn't really work that way. I appreciate the phone call, but that's not something I can take the time to do. Because a good market analysis, and I, and I tell you, there's no sense in doing a bad market analysis ever, okay? So if you're going to do a market analysis, do a good one. All right, it does take time to do. So, you ha again, you have my blessing if someone is as blunt as, there's no way in heck I'm going to hire you, um, but I want you to do work for me anyway. Okay, but be polite about it. But let's say that you're not that busy. Okay, let's say that you're, you are a newer agent or you're in a bit of a lull and you really don't have that much else going on. Go for it. Do it. 
Okay, what has it done? It's gotten you in front of a warm body, and it's helped and it's helped you learn more about your market, doing a market analysis on this specific house. Now, what can come out of this? Lots of good can come out of this, um, besides just you know meeting somebody and, and learning more about your market. This person may decide, you never know, they may decide that, you know what, I really do need to hire somebody who actually knows this market and works hard instead of the brother-in-law. They might actually hire you. Or they might be so impressed with you that they can hold on to your card and they feel you know, kind of bad about it, but they, they go ahead and refer you to others um, instead of the brother-in-law that they feel you know, somewhat obligated to. Or maybe the brother-in-law doesn't sell the house, and three, four, five months later, they still have your professional market analysis sitting around there. They give you a call, and you get to be the second agent. Really, no harm done. Just took a little bit of your time. If you're not doing anything else, I think that's a reasonably good investment of your time. Now, what about for a seller that, say, wants to sell in six months to a year and just wants to kind of get the process started? Hey, do this one all day long, okay? Is it a waste of time? I don't know. It's gotten you in front of a warm body. It's also taught you something about your market, but it also has you a, probably a medium, to, you know, a lukewarm to medium warm prospect for your pipeline in the next year, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What else does it do? It gives you something to stay in touch with this potential seller about. You go to your CMA and you say, well, you know, this is today. I have no idea what it's going to be like six months from now or a year from now. But then you have a built-in reason to contact this person every month or two to update them on what's going on in the market. Okay, That to me is a no-brainer. You absolutely do a good CMA, Okay, and I want to make sure you understand. I mean a half one that, well, you know, you're not going to sell now. What difference does it make? Do a good one. You want to impress these people. Okay, that's number two. Do see a seller who you know isn't going to hire you or isn't ready to sell. Okay, moving on. The next time waster, I think this is number three. Go ahead and work with buyers who haven't yet talked with a lender. So many real estate agents claim that they will not waste their time with a buyer who hasn't yet spoken with a lender. They won't even put them in their car. You know, if you haven't been pre-approved, go bother somebody else, seems to be the, the prevailing attitude. After all, you don't want to spend half a day toting someone around who isn't qualified to buy anything or, or just take a chance at showing him homes that he can't afford and getting his hopes up, right? Well, that's all fine and good except for, um, except for a lot of things. Now, first, realize that when you first meet with or talk to a home buyer, they don't know you from Adam or Eve. They have no loyalty to you. They don't even like you yet. And you know what? There are a dozen other real estate agents on the same block, all vying for that buyer's business, so it's not like you're the only game in town. But when you come out of the gate barking instructions at the buyer as to what they need to do, go talk to a lender, then they may very well do that. They may follow your advice, but you haven't done anything at this point to ensure that they come back to you once they have. Now, I also like to believe that people think they are responsible human beings. So if you imply that you aren't convinced of that, it's very possible they're going to be offended, right or wrong. Okay? I mean, put yourself, and I mean this literally, put yourself in a buyer's shoes. 
And imagine that you call up a real estate agent hoping to talk with her, you know, about buying a home. And the first thing she does is to imply that you aren't financially able to buy a home. Now, I've been that buyer many times. And if a real estate agent had ever brushed me off until I'd spoken to a lender, I can guarantee you that I wouldn't be back. Okay, so what do I advise you to do in, instead when you're working with a new buyer? Okay, well, here's how I tended to handle it when I was an agent and how I would like to be treated if I were the buyer. All right, as you're talking with the buyer in this first meeting, this first conversation, just have, yes, a conversation about their situation, their home buying situation, okay? Their time frame, when do you, when do you want to move? Their desired location, you know, do you know what part of town you want to live in? What kind of home are you hoping to find? What are some of your must-haves? And yes, what they think their price range might be. Now, if they give you a price range, just go for it, okay? Go with it for now. Show them the respect that you assume that they've done their homework and they can afford what they want. Okay, stay with me here. Okay, so go ahead and talk about the housing inventory given their stated price range and desires. If they're ready to go out and look at houses, go out and look at houses. Now, one thing you can do here, you know, as you're selecting homes to show if you're at that point, is you can ask them, if they want you to keep an eye out for homes that are just above their stated price range or if they want you to stick with the upper limit that they identified. I see this all the time on the house hunter shows. The agent, you know, they say, well, our price range is whatever, and then the agent shows them houses more expensive and they get all bent out of shape and upset and frustrated with that. And I think, you know, the agent just should have asked them. You know, I mean, said, do you want me to show you houses that are a little bit above your price range or not? And then they'd be okay. So anyway, for example, Let's say that if they tell you that they want to look for houses up to about $450,000, okay, just nod, say okay, and then start talking about specific homes. And then you say, okay, if I see a home that's a little higher than four fifty, but it's exactly what you're looking for, do you want me to tell you about it? Now, this opens up the door for further conversation about pricing, and it'll probably give you sort of a natural opportunity to ask if they already have a lender or if they need a few names from you. And remember, don't automatically assume that they're taking out a loan. They might be cash buyers. Now, if they don't have any idea what their price range is, that makes it a little bit easier on you. Then you just say something like, well, that's okay. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll have you chat with my favorite lender, and then we'll know. Don't let me forget to give you his phone number before we, you know, before we, um, we part ways today. And then just continue talking about other home buying related stuff. Ask them if they've seen houses online that they like. Ask if they've visited any open houses that appealed to them. Ask if they've been out with other agents looking at homes. Okay? And then at the end of your conversation, just close with, okay, here's what we'll do next. Um, you call my lender, Bob, and let him know I gave you his name and that you want to do a pre-qualification. won't take more than 15 minutes or so. Then call me back or I'll call you, and we'll have a much better idea of where to start. Sound good? Now, I'm giving you these kind of quote-unquote scripts to use as examples of how you can weave the whole loan approval process into a normal, respectful conversation as opposed to what might feel like an inquisition to a buyer when approached in a, a more direct, straightforward manner. Now, certainly, you can come up with your own words and approach, but just get out of the mindset that you don't want to waste your time with a buyer who hasn't yet spoken to a lender. Now, 
a lot of times when you see agents write blogs or comment on forums about the subject, they call the buyer unqualified. You know, should you work with unqualified buyers? And that's not what we're talking about here, although, of course, we don't know yet. But what I like to refer to them as, I refer to them as not yet qualified buyers. They may be very, very well qualified. You don't know that yet. So don't, so get out of the mindset of they're unqualified, they're just not yet qualified. Okay, so again, let's go back to those two caveats. Something that gets you in front of a warm body and something that teaches you a little bit about your real estate market. That's exactly what you're doing when you agree to work with a not yet qualified buyer. Okay, now will you waste your time on buyers who can't afford what they want or can't afford anything at all? Yeah, you probably will. They're not all going to pan out. But here's the thing. I can promise you, you'll come out way ahead in the long run by taking the chance not brushing off potentially well-qualified buyers in an effort to ensure that you never waste a minute of your precious time. Let's see if we have any more questions here. Let's see, Charles is mentioning, you didn't mention charging for a market analysis, which is one of the things that's taught in Acre, especially if they aren't going to use you. That's a good point. Um, I, was, I did not charge for market analyses. I know that some you know, people who offer a la carte services do, and that's perfectly fine to do. But, yeah, that's actually another way you could approach it. That's an excellent point. If somebody is saying, you know, I just want a market analysis to, you know, to compare my, the other agent's price, you might. That's a, that's a really good point. You could say, you know what, I'd be happy to do a really good market analysis, but for you, um, my fee to do that in this situation is whatever it would be and see what happens. Good point. Okay, uh, Kara is asking, what's a safe and respectful way to ask if they're getting a loan or paying cash? Um, what would be a good way? I don't have an automatic script for that. I, I kind of did all, always assume that people were getting loans, and every once in a while I got burned on that. But I think, you know, you can just win the conversation when it feels right, when it's natural, is, you know, will you be getting a loan? You know, will you be getting a loan to purchase this house? And I think that would be very respectful. And then, you know, they might be even a little flattered that you might, you know, assume that they could pay cash. All right. So I don't think it has to be a big deal. I did not work with very many cash buyers. It just wasn't my market. So if anybody else out there works with a lot of cash buyers, and is this something maybe that they tell you up front, um, you know, when they say, oh, we're going to buy a house and we have cash, that almost scares me a little bit more than than um, somebody getting a loan because a lot of times – what I've heard is that people who say they're cash buyers actually aren't, um, or they think they're really, really special because they're cash buyers. Okay. Um, yeah, somebody's saying, how are you financing this purchase? I think you can just ask them straight out. Okay. All right. So, okay, so we just talked about buyers who are not yet qualified. Okay. What about a buyer who can't or doesn't want to buy just now? Okay, I call these, very cleverly, long-term buyers. So let's say that you're chatting with a buyer who, I don't know, found you online, which we're going to talk about here in a bit, or at an open house or something. And the buyer says, well, I'm in a lease, and I won't be ready to buy until, um, let's say, June. Okay, what do you do? Well, the general consensus is that the agent shouldn't waste his time on a buyer who is not ready, willing, and able to buy today. Or, of course, just put him on a drip mail campaign and basically forget all about him. This attitude <laughs> totally confuses me. 
Are real estate agents so darn busy that they can't spend a, a few hours to build a relationship with someone who showed up at their door looking for help, maybe even as a result of that agent's advertising? Are these agents so arrogant that they feel they must actually belittle the buyer for contacting them too early in the process? Or maybe they're just too dumb. <laughs> they can't see the value in having a nice full pipeline. You know what? Come April or May, I'm thinking you might be happy to already have some ready, willing, and able buyers to be working with, right? So instead of blowing off that June buyer, here's what to do. Make a date with the buyer here in the near future to go out and look at houses in the area and the general price range that the buyer has in mind. When appropriate, if appropriate, go ahead and have the conversation about talking to a lender as, as we just discussed. Okay? But the important thing with a long-term buyer is to get face-to-face -face with them and go have a nice time with them. Okay? Go out with them. Be helpful. Be pleasant. Be fun to be around. And, of course, be knowledgeable. At the end of the tour, you're going to have a much better idea of what the buyer likes, and the buyer is going to have a much better idea of what they like. And so it makes it much easier for the two of you to, to stay in touch over the next few months or several months as houses go and, you know, come and go from the market. Uh, like we talked about with the seller, this gives you a, you know, no-brainer opportunity to contact this buyer every month and say, hey, you know that house we saw that, you know, on Washington Street, it went under contract, but another one came up a block over, that's really cool too, so, you know, whatever. Um, if he wants to go out and look at houses every month or so, you know, that's fine. He may or may not, okay? He's probably busy on the weekends, but um, go ahead and make the offer. If, as it does get closer to time, let's say for a June buyer, I don't know, late February, March, um, you know, get in touch with them again and just say, you know what, we probably should start talking about getting serious um, if you're still planning to move in June. You know, no rush, no pressure if, if something's changed, but, hey, I'm ready when you are. All right, let's move on and talk about web leads. Now, what I'm going to tell you as far as web leads are concerned comes from my experience as a consumer, not as a real estate agent. I really didn't do, I, I didn't have much web business. I mean, I got some, but it mostly came from my blog. And so this was not something, I didn't get up every morning and have a hundred new names in my inbox of people who had sent me an inquiry saying, you know, I want some more information. So, you know, bear with me if what I'm saying doesn't, it, I'm, I'm telling you as a consumer, not as a real estate agent who has done this. Okay, so keep that in mind. My personal opinion about web leads, and I really hate calling anything a lead. I'd like you to get out of that mindset, but for now, let's just go ahead and use it. With web leads, I believe you should respond to them personally. If you get 100 a day, you probably can't respond to 100 a day personally, right? But what if you picked 5 or 10? And I don't even know what web leads look like when they come in. So, again, bear with me. But let's say that they're looking and they seem to be looking at a neighborhood or a price range that you have a particular expertise or interest in. You know, pick out the five or ten that seem like the best fit for you and respond personally. Okay, now will you respond basically the same way to all of them? Yeah, you might. But come up with a personal response that references what they're looking for. Offer to help, no pressure. I noticed you were looking for da-da-da-da, and that's such a great neighborhood. I actually live there, or I do a lot of business there, so if there's anything, whatever. Answer personally. Don't just put the buyer on a drip mail campaign. 
and say, oh, okay, now they're going to love me forever and ever because I told I'm I put them on the strip mail campaign that gives them helpful hints every three days about about buying a house. Every other real estate agent in town is doing that. As soon as I'm put on a drip mail campaign, I, I don't care about that agent at all. If I were to get a personal response from them, that's going to take me a lot further in caring about that person. So, you know, does it take more time? Are you potentially wasting your time? Sure. But let's say you get 100 web leads a day and you send out 100 drip mails and you don't get any response from that versus let's say you take 10 you send out a personal note to those 10, and two or three or four of them respond and maybe even turn into clients. Okay, I think that's a much better use of your time and, frankly, a lot more fun. I don't know. I just don't think everything ought to be systematized. It's, it's more fun to deal personally with people. Um, the other thing, and I mentioned this actually in the last show we did, is when possible, if somebody gives you a phone number, and you really feel like from what they're looking for, what they're looking at, that you can be a great agent for them, just pick up the phone and call, okay? Um, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You know, they don't answer or they say, you know, I don't want to talk to you. But if you're pleasant and you're helpful and knowledgeable about the area, I'm guessing that isn't going to happen too often, okay? So that's our next tip, and that is respond to web inquiries personally, um, forget about the numbers game. Take a quality over quantity approach to generating business from the Internet. Okay. Oh, all right. This is my favorite time waster tip of the day. So, And some of you will agree with me and some of you adamantly won't, and, and I'm okay with that. And that is the concept of being a Pop-Tart agent. Now, if you haven't heard the term Pop-Tart agent, what it means is that your phone rings and there's a buyer standing out in front of a listing or some variation on that, and the buyer wants to see it right away, so you pop right up, race out, and show it to him. Is this a good idea? In my opinion and my, my experience, yes, okay, especially if it's your listing, but even if it's not. Um, I was a Pop-Tart agent throughout my career, and... I, I wish I'd kept track of how many closings I actually went to as a result of my being willing to be a Pop-Tart by not getting all riled up about their financial qualifications off the top and not insisting on a, a two-hour buyer consultation and not insisting that they sign a buyer agency agreement right away, which we're going to talk about here in a bit. You know what? Nope. If I was able to do it, I did it cheerfully without any any lecturing or scolding or or other sorts of kind of intimidation okay now what are the benefits of being a pop-tart agent well I can promise you that buyer you're not the first agent they've called they've called other agents all of them have blown him off or scolded him because they needed to come in and do a buyer consultation or do, are they working with a, another agent or have you talked to a lender or I'm too busy, can we schedule some time next Tuesday? So other agents have blown him off. If you're friendly and pleasant and like, you know what, I actually I need a break, and this is kind of how I would approach it so that you, know, you don't feel like you're just sitting there waiting for someone to call, but you can say, you know, you know what, I really need a break. Um, you know, again, give me half an hour and, you know, give me half an hour, let me have your phone number and let's go look at that house. That sounds like fun. Okay? So 
You've impressed this buyer with your friendliness, with your eagerness, with your work ethic, and hopefully you're a really pleasant person so that when you get there in person and you're delightful and you know the neighborhood and, you know, you might have a really good time with this buyer looking at this house and you'll get him. I mean, if he's a gettable buyer, you'll get him because I can tell you, you're the only agent who did. I can't tell you how many times I pop-tarted and the people were so grateful. They're like, God, you're the only agent who was even nice to us. And the only agent who didn't insist on buyer agency before they, you know, they shook our hand. You know, the only agent who didn't make us go talk to a lender before they would, you know, spend two minutes with us. Okay? So I think being a Pop-Tart agent, especially, you know, if you're really not doing anything else at the time, go for it. Now, if you're very busy and you can't go, that's fine. But, again, don't scold the person. Say, you know what, oh, I'd love to. I God, I'd love to. But I'm in the middle of something right now. I'd be happy to meet you later this afternoon. You know, something like that. Okay. Now, just a couple of couple of things about being a Pop-Tart agent. Um, one, if it's your listing and they're calling on it, and let's say they, they have an agent already, but their agent's busy or can't show it, I believe it's your duty to show the listing, even if they have an agent. Okay, if it's your listing and they want to look at it, I think it's your duty to show it. Now, you don't have to show it that very second if you're busy, but, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly about that one, that if it's your listing, I don't care how lazy their agent is, you need to show your own listings. Okay, now another thing people get all worked up about on pop-tarting is the safety. You know, is it really safe to be racing out, meeting a stranger in a house, um, I don't want to do that. And that's certainly something that you would need to search your own soul about. I pop-tarted my entire career and was never in danger, never got hurt, never had any issues whatsoever. Um, so certainly, I don't want you going out there getting hurt. You would not go pop-tart at 8 o'clock at night in a vacant house. Okay. Um, and there are precautions that you can take anytime you're out with a client or doing the business of a real estate agent to protect yourself. So um, that's up to you if you don't feel safe doing, doing this, if you want to have your buyer consultation or whatever else you feel makes you safer, then by all means do that. But um, I will tell you that I probably made, I'm going to guess at least 20000 a year because of my willingness to run out and show a house to somebody who had called me. Okay. Not saying you want to trade $20,000 for your life, obviously. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, you'll just have to use your own judgment there. Are you going to get the buyer every time? Okay, probably not. But what if you got six buyers a year doing this? Okay, I don't know what your average commission is, but during the workshop that we did over the summer, um, we had this discussion, and the average commission that was reported by that group was $7,000. So, you know, if you get six buyers a year, six closer, closings a year by being a Pop-Tart, um, that's, some, that's some pretty good money, not to mention the future business and referrals you might get from this very satisfied client. So, I like Pop-Tarting. Let's see what you all think about that. <laughs> Somebody's saying, I pop-tarted in response to a sign call on my listing. I ended up double-ending the deal, and then I sold that buyer's property a month later. I hadn't done it before, but I will from now on. Um, let me see if I have any more questions on this. And, yeah, someone else. Great success being a cheerful pop-tarter. That's the whole key, too. 
is to be cheerful about it. If you're going to go out and be all grumpy and say, well, you know, I was busy, but I, you know, I figured I would come out or, you know, you really, what's worse, okay, here's the worst thing. You get face-to-face with this person and then you scold them, you know, and then you pressure them to sign a buyer agency or, or whatever. And then they actually have a face with the name of that person who's being unpleasant and, and pushy. So no pushing. You want them to push for you, not you to push for them. Okay, so anyway, since I did bring up buyer agency, a lot of real estate agents, sort of like the working with the not yet qualified buyer, the, I'm not going to waste my time with someone who won't sign a buyer agency agreement with me right away. I think that is just the epitome of arrogant. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that buyer doesn't know anything about you. And it's not like the real estate industry has the best reputation in town for customer service, for responsiveness, for communication. So I don't, I am, I would never in a million years dream of pushing a buyer agency agreement on somebody until, well, I would never push it on them, but until I had proven myself to them, until they had proven themselves to me that we're a good fit, that we want to work together. But to insist on buyer agency, back to the time-wasting concept, to insist on buyer agency as a requirement for the privilege of working with you, to avoid wasting your time, I think you're going to lose a lot more business doing that than you're going to get. And frankly, in my experience in my 12 years of actively selling real estate, I never lost a commission as a re- because I didn't get a buyer agency agreement signed. Did I lose buyers to other agents? Sure. Okay, did I lose buyers to for sale by owners? Sure. But those were things that would have happened even if I had had the agreement, and I certainly would not have chased them for it. So most of the other agents out there are pressuring the buyers to sign this agreement, and they don't explain it well either, trust me. So if you're, you know what, we'll get to that. Here's a disclosure I need you to sign. You know, if we're a good fit and looks like we want to work together, we'll get to the buyer agency all in good time, no rush. Let's just get to know each other and and see if this is a relationship that, you know, can go the distance. You will be an enormous breath of fresh air if if you present it that way. Okay? Um, All right, just a couple more. The next one I alluded to in my introduction, my introductory comments today, and that is focus on client service over prospecting. We talk about this all the time here, so this is nothing new. But a lot of real estate trainers will tell you straight out that your number one priority is to pursue new business over taking care of the business you already have In fact, I've heard some go so far as to say, because client service is one of the least important functions that you do, you should do it at the end of the day when your energy is at its low, as opposed to, let's say, earlier in the day when you have high energy and that's when you should be prospecting. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, that's embarrassing to me when I see those, you know, that, that sort of advice out there that the people who have hired you and are going to pay you thousands of dollars are not entitled to your high energy time, are not entitled to be your priority. Okay, now that's, I mean, a subject on many levels, is, is offensive on many levels, but let's focus on the time-wasting part because that's what these trainers imply is that if you spend all day long putting out fires for your clients, dealing with your clients, talking to your clients, 
um, holding your client's hands that you're wasting your time when you should be prospecting. Nonsense. If you take great care of your clients as your first priority, they will take great care of you throughout the rest of your career. Okay? They will remember you fondly. They will hold on to your business card. They will, they will tell people what a great real estate experience they had. Because you know what? You cannot provide a great real estate experience to someone if it's not your priority to do so. I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. Okay, so providing great client service as your number one priority is never, ever, ever a waste of time on any level whatsoever. Um, as a more, perhaps even a more practical, from a practical, more practical, well, not more practical, but a practical perspective, is when you focus on your clients as your number one priority as opposed to, you know what happens? Your deals close. Okay, you go to closings because you're focusing on your current client are hoping to buy or sell a home. So if you, you know, get a bunch of listings, let's say you have 50 listings all over town. We all know those agents, right? They have 50 listings. Their signs are everywhere, but they never sell because they're overpriced or they're dirty or they're not, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, they have a lot of listings and they probably, you know, some of them sell. But what if they paid more attention to their clients? And all of those listings sold. You know, all of their buyers went to closing. Okay? Never, ever a waste of time to focus on your clients as your number one priority. All right. And so my last potential or my last suggested time waster for our show today is kind of a big picture one, but I'm going to give you some examples from early on um, in the show. And that is use your, real, use your real estate expertise for good every chance you can. What do I mean by that? I mean if there's someone out there in the world who could use your expertise or asks for help for, with something that you can help them with, even though it's not going to lead you to a paycheck, take advantage of that. Take advantage to be helpful for free anytime you can. I mean, what were some of those examples I gave you earlier from Out of Sell with Soul? Um, one thing I did, I remember, was I had a lender call me on a Friday afternoon and he had had an appraisal come in low, and he was trying to just kind of get a feel for why. And so he said, would you mind, you know, just sending me over some comps, you know, that, that you think might be better comps for this particular property. So I did. It took me maybe, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. I sent him over. He was so grateful, okay, and he certainly remembered me fondly. Um, if you have, you know, when tax assessment time comes due and people's, you know, tax assessments go up, a lot of times they'll complain about that and they'll want you to look at their comps, you know, look at the comps that the county sent out or, or help them with that. Do it. Okay. If, um, I'm even, I'll go so far as to suggest, and I get some flack for this, I don't care, if you have a friend or an acquaintance or maybe, you know, even somebody out of the area, but who is in a real estate transaction that you are not involved with and they have questions about it or they have concerns about it, be helpful. Okay, now there are limitations to how helpful you can be, but you know, I, I'll err on the side. Of, I'll always err on the side of being more helpful than less helpful. And you know what? Even if it's somebody that you feel should have hired you instead, be helpful. Okay? Don't be snotty. If that person comes to you and asks for help, they might be a little embarrassed, or they might not. Be helpful. You know, go ahead and 
Answer their questions. Don't ever, 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 ever put their agent down. Well, sometimes you have to, I mean, when they're really bad. But not if you were competing with it. Probably don't do that. But, you know, just give your perspective, okay? Cheerfully, not scolding, you know, not lecturing. And that sort of thing will come back to bless you. I can pretty much promise that. So um, somebody had asked earlier, are something, let me see, how did she put that? Are there any SOI activities that you would consider to be a waste of time, sphere of influence activities? A waste of time, not re- I can't think of anything that would be, you know, specifically that would be a waste of time unless it's something that, you're, that you don't enjoy, you know, or that you don't want to do, that isn't fun for you, that is very expensive perhaps. Sphere of influence activities really don't need to be expensive and they should be fun. So I don't know if, Nicole, if you have anything specific in mind that you're wondering about. Call it One of the things I mentioned earlier was going to lunch, you know, socializing with friends who already know a lot of real estate agents. You know, is that a waste of time or not? Um, absolutely not. So, you know, you may, have a, you may have a friend, let's say, okay, I have a friend whose husband is a real estate agent. Should I not be friends with her? Should I not spend time with her? Because clearly she's not ever going to refer anybody to me. You know, interestingly, she did refer people to me because they weren't good fits for her husband um, or whatever my area of expertise was different from her husband's. Now, she didn't do it a lot, but we were friends. She did respect me as a real estate agent. I was friends with her husband, you know, shoot. But um, you just never know. You never know. And any, you know, if you enjoy somebody's company, and no matter whether or not you think they would refer business to you ever, you may have friends who are like, oh, they would never refer anybody to me. So what? Spend time with them, okay? Um, you know, be social. Be out there in the world being pleasant to people, inspiring people to think of you fondly, even if they don't even realize you're a real estate agent. Okay? So, Nicole, if you have something specific you'd like to you run by me as far as what might be a, a waste of time, that would – Okay, she's saying no, not really. Okay. All right. Doesn't look like I have any questions here. So, everybody, thank you for being here today. I really hope that you do not consider this show to be a waste of time, that you got some ideas that you'll be able to implement and hopefully make a few more dollars and have a few more happy clients at the end of the year as a result. So um, have a wonderful weekend. You know where to find me. And um, I will see you very soon. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.